Jesus has spent the few moments that he had left with his disciples, sharing with them the things that they need to hear, so that when the time comes that they would remember and then understand. This Passover meal that they've been sharing in together is basically a farewell dinner. Farewell because after this meal, everything will change. And so Jesus' farewell message to the disciples will conclude with a final thought, which we see in John chapter 16, verses 25 to 33, our passage for today. And Jesus says in verse 25, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. Jesus tells his disciples that he's been communicating his message to them in metaphor. But why? What purpose do metaphors serve? This literary tool used by writers and artists has been described this way. In their simplest form, metaphors compare two concepts that at first seem unrelated. But look closer and you'll see that it takes an abstract, hard-to-understand idea and compares it to a simple, concrete, well-understood idea. Jesus uses simple examples of earthly things to shed light on the grand truths of God's purpose and kingdom and of our Christian lives in it. And Jesus, therefore, uses metaphors to be able to connect the heavenly things, to earthly realities. We have a hard enough time understanding earthly realities in relationship to our earthly reality. But you take heavenly reality and apply that to earthly experience as Jesus brought heaven to earth. And therefore, Jesus tries to anchor the heavenly things in such a way that His disciples might scratch the surface and though they don't understand, would remember. Jesus, upon saying, I have said these things to you in figures of speech, he continues on and he says, the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you, that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father Himself loves you because you have loved Me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Verse 29, His disciples said, Ah! If you look in the Greek, the actual word would be closer to behold. Ah, I see. Now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. The disciples' response to Jesus' statement is, Ah, we see. Now we see. The only thing interesting, though, is the fact that 
Jesus just finished saying that these things they won't understand right now. Jesus just finished saying that the time and the hour is coming when they will understand. When Jesus will speak to them plainly. But clearly, that time is not in this moment. But after having said that, his disciples immediately reply, Ah, now we understand. Because you're speaking plainly. So to this, Jesus says to them, and he answers them in verse 31, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus, in speaking to his disciples, says, I have said these things that you may have peace. And then he continues on and he says, take heart, have courage. Peace and courage. Two things that the disciples surely needed. Two things that we certainly need now. Amen? Peace and courage. There always seems to be such a short supply of both in people's lives. It always seems fleeting that when we most need peace or want peace, we struggle to find it. When we most want to muster up courage, we can't seem to grasp it. In life, these two things are the things that Jesus says that they are to have, his disciples. So the question I ask of you this morning today, how can you find true peace and courage? How can you find true peace and courage? And when we talk about true peace and courage, it's peace and courage that is not just an idea, but a practical reality. Peace that lasts. Courage that can be held on to. How can you find true peace and courage? This is the question that needed answering then. That's the question that needs answering today. Oh, how our lives would be if both peace and courage were a state and reality that were in more perpetual existence, practice in our lives. Amen? And to this, when we look in our passage, we're going to see that true peace and courage come by way of faith in Jesus seeing what is true by faith in jesus seeing what is true when we talk about having faith in jesus having faith in jesus allows us to see certain reality certain truth there are three things that i really want to focus on from our passage that really expand upon this and the first of these is that By our faith in Jesus, we see what is true. And the first thing that we need to see that is true is we struggle with misbelief about ourselves. We struggle with misbelief about ourselves. 
you know, Jesus, in speaking to his disciples, says, you don't understand right now. Everything that I've told you has been metaphoric. And I've been anchoring it in things that you'll find in earth and ideas that you find in earth. And to that, you'll remember the things that I have spoken to you. But the day will come when the Holy Spirit will come upon you and it will be plain to you. It will be understood to you, these heavenly truths about God's purpose, about God's kingdom, and about the Christian life within all of that. But to this, the disciples say, ah, now we get it. Now we understand. Now we see. Notice, it's not that the disciples didn't believe in Jesus. But the belief they had, though anchored in the belief that He is who He said He was, was also mired with misbelief. You can have truth and belief in the right thing as a fundamental bedrock, and yet built upon that, you can have misbelief. It's not disbelief, which is to say, I don't believe. It is misbelief, a misbelieving, misguided believing upon correct belief. What is the misbelief that they have? Well, Jesus says they will understand, but the day and that hour is not yet, and they say, no, now we get it. It so often is the case that as human beings, whether we knowingly say it or whether we, you know, consciously just kind of are unaware of it, we believe that we know more than we do. We believe that we are experts upon things more than we are. How could it be that Jesus says to them, you don't yet understand the things that I've been telling you, but you will. But then they now turn to him and say, no, 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 but... We do understand now, because now you're being plain. And Jesus is saying no. But if this wasn't enough, because that's, I think, something that we do struggle with as human beings, that we believe that we know and understand more than we do. So even when Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples, it is, I think, I think it is representative of the human experience as it relates to God. That even as we know so little, we take what faith we do have and then assume that we have all that we need to believe upon Jesus, that He is God, that He is the Christ, that He is the one that has come to be the one that reconciles us to God. That is truth. And that is strong, fundamental belief that we should have as Christians, of course. However, built upon that is so much that helps us really flesh out what we mean when we say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you are the Lord and Savior of my life. Because how many of us can say that even as we believe fundamentally that we agree and we are in agreement with Jesus about who He is, that when we examine the reality of our lives, that there often seems to be somewhat of a disconnect. Right? And it's not because we don't believe. But built upon that belief often can be a lot of misbelief. Beginning with the idea that we understand all that we need to know. 
I think the posture of every disciple of Christ is to come before the Lord and to always be the disciple, always be the student. There is not a point at which Jesus says, you have gone from disciple to master. We're always his disciples. Amen? But related to this, and we see where also the misbelief lies, is in Jesus' response to their statement. Because Jesus being God and knowing all things, as they just said, in verse 30, they say, now we know that you know all things. And Jesus now goes to point that out, that that is true. Because based on what they've said, Jesus responds with much more. He responds with more than they have said here. And what I mean is, look what then Jesus says. He first says, do you believe? Do you believe and do you understand all that you're to believe? Well, see, the hour is coming. And that hour actually has come when you will be scattered. Each of you to your own home and will leave me alone. Jesus knows what's going to happen. Jesus knows what's going to happen in the coming hours. What happens? In the moment you would normally expect his disciples to stand with him, his disciples scatter. How do they scatter? When Jesus is in the garden and the soldiers come to arrest him, they all leave. They abandon him. When people recognize certain among them and say, aren't you his disciple? They deny him. When Jesus is crucified and laid to rest, they all, in brokenheartedness, split up from one another and they essentially go back to their old lives. Jesus says this because in the statement when they say, ah, we see, they're claiming a kind of solid, unshakable faith and allegiance to Jesus that they're not yet in possession of. Jesus knows this. Sadly, they don't. I think this is the case for a lot of Christians, is that even as we believe upon who Jesus is, there is a kind of bold, brash pride that thinks that we are so much more than we actually are. Jesus later goes on to say, in this life you will have tribulation. Right? In this life you will have tribulation. And in the midst of that, he's saying, I want you to have what? Peace and courage. You know, all of the events that go down in the hour that has now arrived, and by the way, the hour that has arrived is the hour of true testing. Not the hour of true understanding. Those two hours are separate hours. But the hour of testing has come. What is another way to say that? The hour of tribulation in some sense has come. They're going to have tribulation far beyond the events, immediate events in front of them. Because even after Jesus ascends, the disciples will have plenty of hardship, of tribulation. But these events that are about to take place are representative of tribulation themselves, right? It is a picture of tribulation that when the world comes to take Jesus, his disciples scatter. In the face of the threat and in the face of the hardship, the disciples go back to their old lives. It just so happens that as disciples of Christ, that often is the case that our misbelief about ourselves, the idea that we understand more than we do, that we have 
matured in strength and in faithfulness more than we have? It's faith in Jesus that enables us to see that that's true. Because it's not that we have disbelief. It's that we have misbelief. Second, we struggle with anxiety and fear because of tribulation. As I mentioned, the events that are about to take place, we could look at those events and that could be so representative of how we experience life. The disciples were tested and in the face of that, their fear and anxiety overtook them. Peace was shattered. And when we're talking about peace, the peace that they had was the peace that they achieved by being with Jesus and having a certain kind of dream and hope and a pattern and routine. It's been shattered. The peace is gone. And in the face of all of the external opposition, courage isn't found. In fact, courage disappears like mist in the presence of the sunlight. The two things that Jesus wants them to have. You see, they didn't have it yet. Of course, the power of his resurrection will help impart this. Jesus' resurrected self revealing himself to his disciples will help empower this. But where we see the true change in transformation in the disciples' lives is not in the immediate aftermath of the resurrection, don't you see? It occurs after the Holy Spirit has come upon them. And the Holy Spirit teaches them the realities of everything Jesus had been speaking and teaching them of. So that later, when the tribulations come, the response that we see from the disciples is quite different than the one that we saw previously. Where in the face of the world seemingly coming down upon them, there is this unusual peace that persists. I'm not saying that their hearts aren't troubled during these circumstances, because read the scriptures, you will see that in the face of tribulation, their hearts are troubled. But then in the face of that, there is a peace that seems to pervade and persist through all of that. And a weird courage that has never been seen before. We struggle with anxiety and fear because of tribulation. If we take a moment to examine our own lives, if I ask you, how are you doing right now? How faithfully are you relating to the Lord Jesus? How faithfully are you walking with Him? How faithfully are you standing for Him? How are you? Certainly easier when everything is going right in our lives. Amen? When everything at work is on the upswing. When everything at home seems to be just clicking. When your child is listening to you, unlike so many of the other times when he does not. Did I say he? When our relationships seem to just be so effortless. When the circumstances of our lives, our families, our loved ones, there's nothing, no waves Seemingly easy in those times to say, I have peace and I have courage. But as you and I have found, one thing we can count on is that in this life, the next crisis is just around the corner. 
the next thing, the next wave is coming. If you're not already living in the midst of those waves right now. And let me ask you, in the midst of, you know, all of the things that life has to bring, and that's just for living as a human being, as one who lives on this earth, but then add on top of that all of the spiritual conflict, trouble, hardship that comes because you believe and follow Jesus. Where's the peace? Where's the courage? That's the reality we all understand. And that's why it's not surprising that when hard times come, that people buckle under the pressure. Right? But isn't it Jesus' desire that in the midst of tribulation that his disciples would have both peace and courage? Yes, it is. By faith in Jesus, we see what is true about the misbelief we have about ourselves, about our struggle with anxiety and fear because of tribulation. This brings me to the third point. We find peace and courage in Christ because he has overcome the world. I think that the tribulations cause us to lose peace and courage because in the face of those tribulations, we can't see, we aren't looking at and seeing the truth that Jesus has overcome the world. I'm reminded of that occurrence and event when Jesus was out on the boat with his disciples in the middle of the sea. And one of his disciples says, uh, upon seeing Jesus, tell me to come out to you on the water. And so he comes out. And as he keeps his eyes on Jesus and he's walking towards him, the unthinkable, unimaginable, the seemingly impossible happens. What is it? The man begins to walk on the water. We know this is impossible. And yet, that is exactly what is happening. Until he begins to look around and realize, wait a second, this is impossible. Looks at the waves that are coming his way and is saying, oh, that looks awfully big. This is impossible. He took his eyes off Jesus and all of a sudden he began to sink and then cry out, save me. And Jesus, upon saving him, grabs hold of him, says, oh, you with such little faith. It's not that in the Christian life, tribulation doesn't exist. I can argue very plainly for the fact that as Christians, we experience more tribulation than the normal human being. You don't sign up to be Jesus' disciple so you will have no problems. You sign up with Jesus because you believe he is the truth and the life, that he is the way. Amen? And you sign up for that knowing that you're going to be smacked with tribulation from left, from right, front, and behind. And yet, Jesus says, have peace and have courage. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Let me ask each of you, in the midst of hardship, where do you find your peace? I can tell you that often in my life, I am tempted to find peace in the external circumstances of life. So when I don't experience peace of the world, I feel discouraged. I can feel despondent. 
I feel stressed. I feel bogged down, weighed down. Because I'm looking at my surroundings and I don't feel and find peace in them. How many of you have been there? How many of you can share what I'm talking about and say, yeah, I I know exactly what that is? Let me see a show of hands. That's a struggle common to man. What I have also experienced is that when I focus upon Jesus, that I'm able to have peace regardless of the circumstances. Why? Because even as there's tribulation and hardships, I can find courage. Not in myself. Not in myself, who I know has constantly failed, who comes up short. Not in myself, who, when things are going great, I lead myself to believe I'm stronger than I am, more capable than I am, and more mature than I am. But then when the world comes crashing, then I'm good for nothing. I can do nothing. I can't do anything. I have courage because Jesus has overcome the world. What does that mean? Every trial, every struggle, everything that results from a broken world, Jesus has overcome on the cross. He has overcome the world. When you know that you've already won, not because you did the winning, but because you got to be on the team, standing behind the one who won it, you find courage. Courage is found when we understand that we have a sure hope. Isn't that the truth and reality we find in life? Is when you know that you have strength behind, uh, in front of you and behind you, when you know the outcome is already determined, you have courage, right? Everybody finds courage in all kinds of places in such circumstances. It's when you don't have hope. It's when you don't see that you have won. When everything seems to be in doubt, that's when courage wanes, when fear bounds, when anxiety comes forward. This is a question about what we misbelieve about ourselves and what we misbelieve about Jesus. Because we focus so much on ourselves and not enough upon Jesus, when trials and tribulations come, we look to ourselves and look for hope and we aren't able to find it in ourselves because we're not strong enough and we're not capable enough. We're not looking where our faith lies because our misbelief keeps pointing us and misguiding us in a different direction. And so, when we look to Jesus, He has won. The change in your life, the work that is being done in your life, and the change that you've seen in other people's lives, the work that Jesus is doing in this world is representative of the fact that Jesus has overcome. The Holy Spirit that teaches His disciples and has transformed the world as a result of it, His kingdom that has come and will be fully established Jesus has overcome. We have new life because Jesus has overcome. Amen? That new life did not come by way of our work. That came about all because of his work. He stood there and Jesus said, you all abandoned me, but I did not stand alone because the Father was with me. In other words, the one who did the winning, the one who did the overcoming was God himself, not you and me. You and I, we have courage because we follow that up in the aftermath. We are his disciples after he's won. 
And so we look at everything in our lives through the lens of his victory and we say, I have courage and I have peace. If you aren't experiencing that through focusing upon Jesus, then that's partly because you haven't spent enough time doing it. It's not that true peace and courage isn't found in the fact that Jesus is overcome. If you haven't felt it, if you haven't experienced it, it's not because it's not effective and it's not happening. It's because you haven't experienced the full fullness of it as a reality in your life. It's not necessarily because you don't believe. It's because of so much misbelief. Today, I encourage you to point your attention toward what it is you believe. If you already believe upon Jesus, then great and good. But the question is, what belief do you build on top of that? I want to encourage you today, whatever it is you're experiencing as tribulation in your life, because I'm certain that probably are, turn your eyes your heart, and your attention to Jesus. Find courage and the peace that he has for you. And by the way, as you begin to keep pointing your eyes to him and the fact that he has won, then that will persist. The greatest struggle is the fact that as we focus upon him and the fact that he has won, we then take our eyes off of him. Point it again. Let me leave you with this. Our misbelief, that leads us to our being misguided is overcome when we focus our faith upon the gospel, that it is Christ that has overcome, giving us peace and courage. May you practice focusing upon him because he has overcome. And in the face of it, find the peace and courage that Jesus intends for each of his disciples, for you to have.